Welcome back to Bible Time. We are in the first epistle of Paul the Apostle to the Thessalonians, the church of the Thessalonians. And we are here in verse 4 today, um, the shortest verse in the entire chapter of chapter 1. And yet it is going to take all of our time. And we're going to have to plow into this and try and learn what it says and learn what God's talking about. We have a whole lot of Bible verses to look at today. This is Bible time, and that's what we do. We look at the Bible. We want to know, what does the Bible say about it? We're, um, hopefully, this is for someone who, if, um, um, if it'll bless you, it's for someone who is sick of opinion sick of views, sick of ideas, and ready to get into the Bible and see what the Bible says about a subject and get a proper understanding of the Word of God. That's our goal, that's our hope, that's our desire, and that's what we're trying to do by God's grace. First Thessalonians 1.4, Paul says to the church of Thessalonica, Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would open up the subject of election to our understanding to the degree that it will bring you glory and humble our hearts, Father. I pray, Lord, that we would be balanced in our understanding, that we would not go to extremes, Lord, neglecting clear Scripture um, in order to validate and authenticate our own views and our own understanding. I pray, Lord God, that we would have a scriptural understanding of this topic, Lord God, and that we would be able to um, thereby... Lord, serve you um, in holiness and in fear, and Lord, without the the pride, <coughs> excuse me, the disabling pride that comes whenever we get our minds above your word, Lord, and begin to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Please humble us with your word today and teach us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. The success of the church of Thessalonica was not due to methods or exposure to a great preacher. They got three weeks, three Sabbath days that Paul reasoned with them from the scriptures there in the synagogue. And that little group of people that got saved was um, living in what was once a little Jewish community in a heathen town. And then in just a short while, became one of the most powerful churches in all of Macedonia and Achaia, or Achaia, or however you say that. The, so they became one of the most powerful churches in the entire region, as the Word of God says in verse 8. Um, it says, From you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God, where it is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak to anything. He says, we don't even need to rebuke you. We don't need to deal with problems. We're just happy to know you. We're just glad to see the power of God working in you. This church went like a flash of lightning from absolutely nothing, just a little Jewish community um, budding up to a heathen community there in the northern Greece area, and they went from just this little community to one of the most powerful churches in the entire region virtually overnight. It happened in less than a month that they that Paul was there, and then Paul went from there um, to Athens and sent back Timothy, and by the time Timothy got back, there was already so much to report of what God was doing that this letter from Paul followed shortly after Timothy's return to Athens, which if you read in the book of the Acts, Paul got to Athens and his spirit was stirred because he saw the city wholly given to idolatry and he sent for them to come quickly. So Timothy didn't stay long in the in the town of Thessalonica and he went on to Athens. <coughs> and yet this church had become a powerful church even in just that amount of time. There is no human explanation for that. There is there's no seminars. There's no, there's no self-help courses. There's no study courses. There's no discipleship courses. There's no mentoring or Bible school that can do what God did in the church of Thessalonica. Now, we looked at the evidence of their success yesterday and saw their position in Christ the day before that, which we find to be the key of their success. Uh, now, <clears throat> excuse me. 
the fact that they lived in the practical reality of their position in Christ led to clear dynamic evidence of their position in Christ and it showed who they really were. Here we're going to find today a powerful truth that not only was the evidence Um, clear evidence of success there in verse 3, but it was evidence of election. Now, um, you're going to wonder, do you really believe in that election stuff? Well, probably not the way that you think of it, because um, most people know more about man's opinions about election than they do about the Bible. And I try very hard not to even study man's opinions about it. I just want to get in the Bible as much as I can and let God teach me. And I'll do my best not to give you um, my opinions today. But the phrase election is in, or the word election is in the Bible. Now the phrase doctrine of election is not in the Bible. (coughs) And you won't find a catechismic Um, definition of election in the Bible. Um, Election is used um, in the Bible very, very simply. It just means um, an official appointment of an individual to a position he or she could not attain otherwise. We elect people in the United States of America. We elect people to, to town mayor, Uh, Nobody has the right to just up and say by force of will, drive of emotion, or by, or Um, by the strength of their intellect, they can't just stand up and say, I'm the town mayor today and win that spot. They have to be duly elected. And here in the United States of America, there are laws that say that the people are the government of the United States of America. Therefore, the people have the right to choose their leaders. And the people then must do it in an orderly way that is consistent with the laws of the land, but that the people may um, have the power to choose who represents them in government. And that is the idea behind a representative form of government. But election in the Bible is not the election of an official in heaven. You're not electing God. God's electing you. If you're elected, then God is electing you. Please excuse my cough. Now, in the about several hundred years ago, maybe five hundred years ago um, or so, there was a man that rose to prominence in the world as he rejected the doctrines of the false church that had gotten away from the word of God and had built an entire doctrinal hierarchy and an entire doctrinal dogma and set of doctrines that were far from Scripture and in direct contradiction to Scripture, blatant and open heresy. And that false church had reached such great power that it was killing and persecuting and burning at the stake anyone who taught anything that disagreed with it. That false church came to such a strength and such a power that um, even the emperor of the German of the German area, the whole region of Germany, at the time not a nation of Germany, as much as it was tribes up there in that region, that entire region had become ruled by a very powerful emperor. I want to say it was Frederick. I can't remember. I didn't study the history. I wasn't really playing on this, but for the sake of the younger ones here, I want to just give you just a touch of this, and you'll learn more about it in history. But this powerful emperor um, resented the rule of the high pontiff of this great false church, and this great ruler was audacious enough, he was bold enough to defy the power of the great ruler of the false church. Now, this church leader then promptly excommunicated all of Germany from the false church. And when he did that, all the people of Germany fell into abject fear and terror. You see, this church, this false church, was marked by the the fact that this church would not allow people to read the Bible unless they went first to that church's seminary and learned their doctrines and learned how to twist it. They would not allow the Bible to be read. They would not allow it to be learned in in the individual's language. It had to be read and learned and kept in only the language of the false church, which happened to be Latin. Now, these people were 
unable to read the Bible for themselves, and they had no concept of salvation by grace through faith, as the Bible implicitly states in the book of Ephesians. So the people were in terror. They believed that hell was real. And they believed that there was a way to heaven, but they had been told that the way to heaven was through this false church. And then if you did not go through this false church, which claimed the name of Jesus Christ, by the way, that you would go straight to hell, that there was nothing that you could do to get to heaven except to obey the church and go to the church and take their sacraments and do what they said. And at this time in history, many men began to come out from amongst that church, men who had been trained by that church, men who believed what that church had taught them until after years of reading the Bible, their eyes were open to the, the, to the lies that they had been taught and they became bold through the power of the Holy Spirit, bold enough to speak out against the lies of that great false church. And when that happened, they, many of these men came out. Amongst them was a man who came out from that church named John Calvin. And God used him very mightily. And John Calvin was one who had preached the Bible. He was a very scholarly man. He understood um, many languages fluently. And he was a very scholarly man. And in his teachings, um, he had disciples that followed him. And his disciples split two different ways. One set of his disciples said that whenever you get saved, it's something that you do and you must choose God. And the other set of his disciples said, no, God must choose you. Now, the one set that said man must choose God became known. <coughs> Excuse me. They became known after the name of the disciple that split from Calvin, whose name was Armin, and so they became known as Arminiists. And the other set of disciples that came from the teachings of John Calvin, I believe they were the second generation um, after John Calvin. So John Calvin, then another teacher, and then here came these two that split. And you have, and I'm no church history expert, but I'm giving you the rough I'm just the rough draft of it today, and you can study it out for yourself. I like to major in the Word of God, and I like some church history every now and then. So anyway, <clears throat> these two groups, Calvin's group that was not really Calvin's group, it was they called themselves after Calvin, and Armin's group, which was the Arminius, the Calvinists and the Arminiusts, and they got in this argument over whether God chooses you or over whether you choose God, and by the end of it, by the end of their peaceful talks, what it came down to was the Arminius and the Calvinists could not agree. And at the council that they were present at, at the last peaceful talk that they had, it turned bloody. And the Calvinist disciples um, decided that these other Arminius men were heretics, and so they uh, killed them. Put them all to death. Now, Jesus said in the word of God that they will know you are Christians by your love that you have one to another. How many of you think that that group that um, argued and argued and argued and ended their argument by killing the people that didn't agree with them, how many of you think that they evidenced Christianity? Is that a Christian response? Is that a Christ-like response? No. So what we see here is exactly what we're warned about in the book of Colossians chapter 2. And it says there in verse 18, Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. This intrusion into things which he hath not seen is very dangerous. And what we're looking at today and what Whenever we look at this doctrine of election, we are looking at one of the most controversial doctrines in the entire Bible. And there's a reason for that. The reason for that is that election has to do with God's operation of salvation. Now, election is in the Bible. There's absolutely no doubt about it being in the Bible. But men who intrude into things they have not seen go beyond the Bible. Listen carefully right here. Go beyond the Bible into things the Bible does not say. 
and they add a little word here and a little word there to emphasize their perspective and make their point of view more poignant. And in doing so, they err from the truth. They go beyond vain intruding into the things that they have not seen, vainly puffed up with their fleshly mind. And as usually happens with arguments, have you ever noticed when two kids get in a fight? One kid will say something, the next kid will give a rebuttal, and the first kid will come back and rephrase what he said and make it even more extreme. And then the second kid will come back with a rebuttal that's even more extreme than his first rebuttal. And instead of coming to closer common ground, they become more and more alienated one from another. The Bible says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your own lusts that war in your members? The battle, the doctrinal battle between Arminius and Calvinists is nothing more than a giant show of the flesh. There is nothing at all profitable in it. I don't even like to go back and read their arguments. I'm not interested. It is carnal. It is flesh. Do you hear me? And we should have already been able to tell that it was all flesh because these men named their groups after men. And so you have a group that say that they were Arminiists. And then you have a group that say they were Calvinists. And you, if you go over to Corinthians and the church of at Corinth, Paul said, some of you say, I am of Paul. And some of you say, I am of Apollos. And some of you say, I am of Cephas. He says, are you not carnal? And he says, I have fed you with milk. And he says, I can't even feed you with meat now. You're not able to take it. And the problem here with these groups, and listen to me, this flies in the face of the entire spirit of these two polarizing points of view. These groups are carnal. Do you hear me today? Arminiists were carnal. And the Calvinists were carnal. What happened would not have happened if they were spiritual. It could not have happened. They became vainly puffed up in their fleshly minds. And because of the vanity of their fleshly minds and the, and the strife that came from the lusts of their members, they came to such a point of alienation that they drew blood. What a sorry shame. Now the Arminius, um, just to be fair, were um, not the ones drawing the blood. They were the ones giving the blood in that case. But, in, but however you look at it, there's carnality on both sides. The most extreme would be those who murdered their fellow Christians because of a difference in opinion. Can you believe it? Can you believe it today? So now, if you're one of these that wants to try and reignite the old battle between Calvinists and Arminius, uh, I say to you, through the authority of the Word of God, shut up and sit down. You are carnal. You are a big baby. You are nothing but a baby, baby, baby. Do you hear me? And that makes you mad, and it proves how carnal you are, you big baby. Now, that's kind of carnal, too, getting into the name calling there. Listen to me today. If you want to reignite this old fire, you want to debate, you want to strife, you want to have arguments with people over Calvinism and Arminianism, you want to read all the old books, you want to read Calvin, you want to read Armin, you want to read the arguments, you want to pump it up, and you want to have a big discussion and a big debate about it, you're carnal. You know not anything that you're speaking of. You do not even begin to understand the doctrines you're trying to argue. You're coming at them from a fleshly mind and not from a spiritual mind. Now, I don't know how far we're going to get today. We might have to break this up into two, um, two lessons. We All of us can get carnal. It's easy to get carnal. All you have to do is get in that fleshly mind and you get carnal. Now let's look at some Bible verses that deal with election because election is in the Bible. And if you really want to know anything about God, you've got to go to the Bible. So get your Bibles ready. Who's got their Bible ready? This is Bible time and we're going to look at the doctrine of election in the Bible. Not in the catechism and not in the writings of other men. We're going to look in the Bible and see what the Bible says about election. Go to Romans 9. We're going to start there. This is the, the hardest, most in-your-face 
teaching in all of the scripture regarding this topic, but this must be taken in the light of other scripture. But we're going to go ahead and just jump in here with both feet. Romans 9, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have a great, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ, Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children." But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born... Get this real good. Pay attention. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil. Do you follow what he's saying there? These two children in the womb. What are the children's names that we're dealing with here? Esau and Jacob. Who remembers those guys? Here are two boys in the womb of their mother who have not done any good or any evil. How much good can you do in the womb? None. How much evil can you do in the womb? Can you lie in the womb? No. Can you commit adultery in the womb? No. You cannot steal in the womb either, can you? There's nothing you can do evil. There's nothing you can do good. Here they are in the womb. And he says in verse 11, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Not of works, but of him that calleth. That word election, again, just meaning the appointing in the case of an official office it's the official appointment of an individual to a position he or she could not attain otherwise so here god is saying that he picked one of the babies in the womb he chose one of the babies for a special purpose Look at verse 12. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. That's rough. Good luck with that. The Bible says it. You want to try and explain it away? You've got a problem with God's word. The Bible said, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. And here the apostle Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, put that in the mother's womb. That while the babies were still in the mother's womb, God elected. Or that God manifested his election of one of them. Because we'll find by other scriptures that election happens before the conception of the child. It's actually something that's happened before the foundation of the world. And it was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Did you hear what he said? It's not of him that willeth or of him that runneth. It's not of you saying, I want to want to want to be saved. That doesn't get you saved. And it's not of you going to church and doing the sacraments, doing good works, paying your tithe, getting baptized. That doesn't save you. It's actually of him that calleth. It's of him that calleth. What is he saying here other than that salvation is of the Lord? salvation is of the Lord. Look at verse 17. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up that I might show my power in thee and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy and whom he will he hardeneth. That's plain speech. Now it's our job to say, yes, sir, God, 
Amen. Let it be so. Because God said it. And if you are truly a believer in the word of God, you will say, Amen. Yes, Lord. Because God said it. He says, Whom he will, he hardeneth. On whom he will have mercy, he hath mercy. Thou wilt say then unto me, verse 19, Why doth he yet find fault for who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? Did you see what God is saying here? That God can literally make a lump for dishonor or a lump for honor? that God can pardon who he will, God can show mercy on who he will, that God literally, literally picks and chooses people to be saved. You be careful right here. Don't go beyond what the Bible says. You stick with what the Bible says. You better get this thing balanced with other scripture right now. Yes, the Bible says it, but we better get the rest of the scripture involved or you're going to go off the deep end. By the way, where is this text? Where are we reading at? Where are we reading? Romans chapter. That means there are how many chapters before we got here? Eight. Do you think those chapters might have things to say that would affect what's being said here? How many chapters are there after this chapter? There's 16 total and this is chapter nine. How many more chapters are there? Seven. By the way, there are 66 books of the Bible. And where is this one? This is Romans. So that's one. And there are all of the Gospels in the entire Old Testament before this and all of the rest of the New Testament after this. So before you go and make yourself a doctrinal position that you're going to have it as a hill to die on, you better check the rest of the Bible. We're going to look at some other verses in the Bible as well. Now, this is a pretty amazing statement. Look at verse 22. What if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction boy that's rough speech and it's true it's 100% true. And it says in that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. Did you hear what he said? The vessels of wrath are fitted to his de to destruction and the vessels of honor are fit afore prepared unto glory. Something was done before they were even made to prepare them for glory. Let's look at 1 Peter 2.8. Before we move on to um, other, other aspects of the love and mercy of God, let's understand this today. Um, 2 Peter 2.8. I'm sorry, 1 Peter 2.8. Boy, that 2 Peter 2.8 would be a good study in election. It's the story of Lot. A lot. You can't see anything in Lot worth saving, but God did. 1 Peter 2, verse 8, he says here, speaking of Jesus Christ, that he is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were what? What does it say? Appointed. Do you see it there? 1 Peter 2, 8. These people that stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. That's kind of rough, isn't it? That God would literally appoint someone to stumble at his word. Can this actually be Bible? It is actually and absolutely Bible. Go to 1 Timothy 2. Boy, do we have scripture. We got a lot of scriptures to go to. We got to keep moving. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. He says here that Jesus Christ will have all men to be saved. Wait a second. That sounds like it contradicts what we just read. It doesn't. Because every word of God is pure. He is a shield to them that put their trust in him. Don't put your trust in men and don't get puffed up in your vain fleshly mind trying to explain God. You've got to start by taking him at his word. 
here he says that God will have all men to be saved. Go back to 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now you could say, well, that's just applying to the elect. He's not willing that any, but any of the elect perish. The elect aren't going to perish. God doesn't need to worry about the elect. They're not going to perish. But yet he's long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Bible says the Lord has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Be careful that you rightly divide this word of truth. Go to John chapter 6. Let's look at some more verses quickly. John chapter 6. I'm sorry, I don't have these verses laid out faster. John chapter 6. And verse 44, we've got several more verses in John, so we should be able to pick up some speed here. Um, Verse 44, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Did you hear what that said? Now these things bear some thought. Maybe we need to just go a little slower and take maybe more than one Bible time on this. But we just need to think through these verses. Did you hear what he said? No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. Salvation is of the Lord. No, there is no man that can be saved apart from a sovereign work of grace in the life of that man initiating salvation. Without that, you cannot, will not be saved. And that's clear in the Bible. Um, Go to John 8. Well, you go there. Ephesians 2 and verse 5 says, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. And then those famous verses in verse 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. This should be mind-blowing. Right here he says that God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. So then salvation is a work of grace. By grace ye are saved, it says. And then it says, by grace ye are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. But it says in verse 10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So the good works of the church of Thessalonica were evidence of the election of God who had before ordained that they should do the good works. This is um, getting into some of the whole argument of what came first, the chicken and the egg. Well, the chicken obviously came first because God created fowls. And in the same sense, if you get off on this thing of man's part in salvation and God's part, if you ever put man's part in front of God's part, you have an absolute breakdown in doctrine. Salvation is of the Lord. God initiates salvation. Be very careful here. Do not allow the devil to redefine Bible terms based on experiences, your experiences or other experiences. Election is an operation of God. God is from above. We are from beneath. God's ways are not our ways. They're higher than our ways. Stay humble and accept the scripture at face value. Let the Bible say what it says. Just throw out all those theology books about it and just let the Bible say what the Bible says and believe the Bible. Stay humble and accept the scripture at face value. Beware of man's unscriptural conclusions drawn from speculation into the unrevealed aspects of God's work in salvation. 
The Bible says what it says. Let it say what it says. Preach what it says. Tell people what it says. But stop trying to tell people what God didn't say and what he meant to say and what he should have said and what he would have said if he'd have consulted you before he wrote the Bible. Let's just go with the Bible. John chapter 8 and verse 31. Here, Jesus speaking to um, a large crowd, but the Pharisees were there and they were antagonistic against the Lord. Uh, Verse 31, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Whoa, 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 whoa. I thought they were elect. But he says to them, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Then that's a two-edged sword. It shows their responsibility to continue in the word. But at the same time, if you look at the other scriptures, we know that God's the one that must keep you. So here you have the reality that the election of God ties into the continuation in the word of God. Look at verse 41. Ye do the deeds of your father, said Christ to the Pharisees, the scribes. Then said they to him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech? Get this right here. Even because ye cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Look down at verse 7, 47. He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Did you see that? Man's part is hearing God's word, right? But what has to happen for man to hear God's word? You've got to be of God. He that is of God heareth God's word. And we're not all of God by nature. In fact, the Bible says that we're by nature children of wrath. Now, this thing of election here, this is an absolutely critical doctrine to understand in the word of God, to know that the Bible teaches it. The doctrine of election will keep you from going absolutely crazy when you try to tell people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It will give you the freedom to let people go to hell. And, oh, that sounds bad, doesn't it? But it's necessary. You would go crazy. An atheist once said that uh, if he believed what the Bible said about hell, he would crawl across miles of broken glass on his hands and knees to tell one man about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And well, what he said, it has some weight to it. And it is used in um, soul winning circles to try and get the troops rallied and sent back out to the streets again and try and get them out on the streets. The reality is that that atheist doesn't know anything about the Bible. The reality is that some believed and some did not. And that's in Acts 28, 24. Paul preached the gospel. Some believed, some did not. And some people are going to believe and some do not. And while we should and must have zeal to carry out the great commission and take the gospel to all creatures, the doctrine of election looses us from the burden of the responsibility for the final resting place of the souls of men. We do not have to save the lost. Hallelujah salvation is of the Lord. If it was something that could be done by persuasion, if it was something that required method and motive, then yes, I would have to join that atheist in crawling across miles of glass to try and get to the next person. But if salvation is of the Lord, and if election is true, then I can live an obedient life to Christ, studying to be quiet, to do my own business, and preaching the word, and studying to show myself approved, and trusting God to get the gospel to the people that need it through me as I am obedient to God in carrying the gospel. But the burden of the weight of the eternal souls of man can get off my back and go back on the back of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary where it belongs because only Christ can carry that load. Do you hear me today? That load is too heavy. You cannot carry the load of the souls of your children, of the souls of your friends, of the souls of your family, and of the souls of this lost, dying world. You must recognize that God is sovereign. 
and that God initiates salvation. And this in no way negates the need for you to go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with your neighbors. This is quite the study. So much here um, to look into and so little time to do it. We're already three quarter, two-thirds of the way through and we haven't even finished the second page of notes here. John chapter 10, go there quickly. John chapter 10 and verse 24. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Do you hear how they threw it all back on Christ? How long dost thou make us to doubt? Were they doubting because Christ made them doubt? Hmm. <laughs> well, now we could get into a, a whole thing here where in First Peter it says they were appointed to stumble. How about that? How long dost thou make us to doubt? Lord, help us. If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believed not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And here is the doctrine that is preached of eternal security. Today, in our age, the doctrine of eternal security has an unholy wedding with the doctrine of the unlimited free will of man, where man gets to choose whether or not he wants to be saved. So now you have people that pray a little prayer and they say a little thing and they go through a little motion at church and then they go on and have no works and no evidence and claim to be saved. And they claim to be eternally secure. Eternal security only applies to those who are elect. How about them apples? Well, it's true. It's Bible. It only applies to them that are the elect. And the elect manifest their election by the good works that they are ordained unto. If you're elect, you'll prove it. Lord, help us today. Now, there are many references to this throughout the Bible. Let's run some references fast. Go to Acts. We've got to move. Go to Acts 13. Acts 13, 48. I keep saying fast and keep bogging down. Maybe that's because we just need time to think about these verses while we're reading them. Acts 13 and verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. What are you going to do with that verse? As many as were ordained to eternal life believed. It says what it means, and it means what it says. So here is um, Luke, the beloved physician, preaching the doctrine of election. The biblical doctrine of election, not man's. You be careful with that stuff. Throw your catechism out the window and get a Bible. Get a good old authorized version, King James Bible, and read the Word of God in English and get your doctrine from there. This book is my statement of faith, so help me God. Um, we already read Acts 8, uh, 28, 24. Go to Galatians 1, 5. Acts 28, 24 is where Paul preached the gospel, and there it says that some believed and some did not. Before you get to Galatians, actually, we need 1 Corinthians. We're going to try and go in order here real quickly. 1 Corinthians 1, 2. Um, he says, Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. They got called. Who called them? God called them. No man can come unto me except God, which is the Father, draw him. Verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 24, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And what did he just say in verse 23? But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. Do you see how all through these references, 
differences. You have to notice that while in the same text, God talks about how that salvation is of the Lord and how that God calls and God draws and God foreordains and God predestines. And there are those who are elect and those who are appointed unto um, stumbling at the word. And while all that is true, in the middle of it all, we're commanded to preach the gospel. And Paul here says, we preach Christ crucified. And who do we preach Christ crucified to? To the Jews who see it as a stumbling block. And to the Greeks who see it as foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. If you are saved today, you were called by God. Now, here's where you're going to try and bring in your your experiences. What is the call of God? We're going to study that, Lord willing, going forward because the Bible deals with it. What the call of God is. And you need to understand the call of God. I need to understand the call of God. Be careful not to think that everybody's got to get struck by blindness like Paul did just because you had a certain experience doesn't mean that everybody's going to experience the call of God like you did and I will back this up with scripture maybe even tomorrow or the um, following Bible time after that but the call of God in a nutshell is whenever the Holy Spirit of God illuminates the doctrine of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ to your heart and beckons you to the gospel and draws your heart and shows you the truth of Christ and we'll talk about that can a man resist the draw of God we'll talk about that we'll look at it in the scripture we'll look at what the Bible says you pray for me that I'll be able to represent Present God accurately as a good ambassador of Jesus Christ and not to interject my own ideas or opinions. Verse 27, but God hath chosen the food, cho- chosen, chosen, but God hath chosen the foolish things of this, of the world to confound the wise and God hath chosen. Do you see that word chosen? Chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And this right here, well, he's talking about how God has chosen. It confounds the mighty. It confounds the wise. God chose the weak. God chose the foolish. That's what it's saying right here in the text. And as it says that it confounds, even as he teaches it, men rest it. Unstable souls rest the word of God to their own destruction. And base things of the world and things which are despised. Look at verse 28. Hath God chosen three times now. He said chosen in these two verses. And things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. If you get into heaven it will be because God almighty sovereignly chose you out of the miry clay. Chose you out of the weak things. Chose you out of the foolish things. Chose you out of the base things. Chose you out of the despised things and then operated through the operation of almighty God on your heart and on your mind to illuminate the truth of salvation and the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead at which point whenever you placed your faith and trust in what God showed you through divine operation of the Holy Spirit of God and you responded to it saying yes God I'm a sinner yes God you're word is true i believe in the lord jesus christ and at that moment he saved you if you're saved today that's how you got saved galatians chapter one quickly galatians chapter one this is critical this 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 doctrine is so critical if you understand election if you understand that god chooses it destroys religious attempts to save yourself do you hear me today it destroys self-righteousness it destroys false religion this is critical doctrine galatians 1 and verse 15 but when it pleased god who separated me from my mother's womb get that that sounds like old jacob and esau doesn't it when did paul the apostle say that god separated him From his mother's womb. 
But wait a second. Wasn't the apostle Paul once called Saul? And wasn't he out there breathing threatenings against the church? Didn't he hold the garments of the men that stoned Stephen? Wasn't he anti-Christ and vile against the gospel? Isn't that the same Saul? That Saul was already separated. My eyes are bugging. I hope your eyes are bugging. That Saul who was accusing Stephen and attacking Stephen was already separated unto the gospel of God. Let's finish the verse. It's a mind blower. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Do you hear that? That's grace. And God didn't back up. No matter how wicked Paul got, no matter how far Paul ran from God, no matter how angry Paul got towards God, God reached down from heaven and just about grabbed him by the coattails and jerked him to the ground. There was a light that shined from heaven. Read the conversion of Paul. He tells about it in there's the story of it's Acts 9. But then Paul tells it again two more times um, and refers to it many other times. Two more times in the book of Acts that he recounts it, if I remember right. And then he refers to it many other times and see how God saved Paul against his will. Wait a second. Against his will? But what did he do? He changed his will. Until Paul wanted to be saved. Lord, what will thou have me to do? So Paul's will was against God. God in grace changed Paul's will. And Paul willed to be saved and willed to follow God. But God's the one that did it. Hallelujah. Listen, you say, you're extreme here. I know, I don't agree with everything I'm saying. <laughs> When I start reading other passages in the scripture, I can almost preach against what I'm preaching here. If I'm not careful, we've got to take the Bible for what it says. Take care lest you err by superimposing your ways and your ideas. We must limit our commentary on the word of God to that which we can substantiate with clear scripture. No private interpretations are permitted by God. We didn't even get to Ephesians 1, 4 through 5, Ephesians 2, 5, 8 and 9, Philippians 1, 6, Philippians 2, 13, Colossians 3, 12, 2 Thessalonians 2, 14, 1 Peter 1, 2, 2 John, the elect lady, Jude, um, verse 1, where he calls out those that are called of God listen to me that's the apostle John that's the apostle Peter that's the um, beloved physician Luke speaking there of Paul's ministry and the book of Acts and the other ministries teaching these doctrines and the apostle Paul teaching this doctrine of election to nearly every church that he wrote a letter to and I probably missed it if I missed one of the epistles that Paul wrote and um, you find the verse where he teaches elections. Um, send me an email. I'd love to see it. I probably missed it running over again. I haven't even had the uh, concordance out for this. I'm not bragging or anything. There's nothing wrong with using a concordance. I just don't have access to one right now um, that's not online, and I don't prepare on the computer. Just a thing with me. Um, you go ahead if that's what God lets you do. So we see many references to this doctrine throughout the Bible. In 1 Corinthians, um, we looked at that. But we, well, we see that God draws, calls, and elects the saved in the midst of every such reference and or the surrounding context. God requires man to respond to his call. What a mystery. And not only does he require man to respond, he requires man to live up to their election and to live like their elect. And then he warns them if they don't and tells them to examine themselves whether they be in the faith. Wait a second, if election, if God is sovereign and he chooses those that are saved, then why in God's name would we have to worry about it at all? And why would we examine ourselves? Because God said to, and God is the one who sovereignly elects, and God has sovereignly limited election and made it work in cooperation with the voluntary will of man. And you cannot get around that in the Bible. They're both there. 
They're both there. God tells you, examine yourself. Jesus Christ preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And well, on the one hand, God appoints some to stumble at the word and appoints others and ordains them to eternal life. At the same time, God commands all men everywhere to repent and sent the gospel to all men. And God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, the Bible says. Absolutely too big of a subject. We're going to just shut her down. We've got about five minutes to wrap this thing up, and we're going to do it. We're going to get within our hour. I gave you those references, other references we were going to read. You can look them up on your own. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4, 5 deals with this call. This subject is absolutely too big to even begin to cover exhaustively in one Bible time, even a year's Bible times. You can go through the whole Bible, Old Testament, looking at the examples Look at the examples of the ones that were called, the ones that were not called, the ones that responded, the ones that didn't respond. It's a mystery how it works, but it's supposed to be a mystery. Listen to me. You better be careful tampering with the mysteries of God. You better be really careful. You better tread softly, and you better walk reverently before you go wading into the mysteries of God and teaching false doctrine and teaching people to err through your vain fleshly mind. 1 Thessalonians 4, 5. I think I got the wrong verse. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurances. Chapter 1, verse 5. We're going to save that. Look at it uh, maybe next time. So look at our text here. Um, the word knowing. The word knowing. And we're going to wrap it up with this. We may go just a couple minutes past the hour. Lord help us. So, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Election, election is never anywhere in the Bible in a way that it cannot be known. To understand election is something to be involuntarily applied to men and involuntarily accepted by men or ignorantly attained by men who don't know what they're getting and don't know that they got it, cannot be found in the Bible. To claim that God and grace elects people without their knowledge or voluntary assent is unbiblical. Now, we, we can assume that Paul didn't know what God was doing in the womb. How many of you remember your nine months in your mother's womb and can tell me what happened? Huh? So here's another mystery of God that you better leave alone. How can God deal with a child in the womb and have any kind of justness about how he does it? I don't know. Who art thou that repliest against God? The God that can cause the bones to form in the mother's belly can deal with the spirit of an unborn child before they're cognizant enough to remember it with their human intellect. And I don't understand that. So you're saying now, Mr. Burks, you're trying to say, you're talking about infant salvation. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Bible. I'm not trying to give it any kind of doctrinal words. This is a mystery. That's what I'm trying to tell you. It is a mystery. But the, the work of God in the life of a soul, of a man, that does not result in their voluntary acceptance and their knowledgeable attaining to that salvation that God is doing is absolutely unbiblical. Now the Apostle Paul, God separated him in his mother's womb, but it was many Many years before he voluntarily accepted the work that God had already done in the womb. I don't understand all of that at all. But the Apostle Paul counted his conversion and his salvation at the road to Damascus, not the womb. And now tell me how that fits into the mystery of God who before ordained us unto eternal life. And that Paul, who was ordained unto eternal life and was separated from his mother's womb, was nevertheless on his way to a devil's hell for eternity if he had died in his sins. And yet God in his mercy sustained his life and changed him on the road to Damascus and altered his will and Paul willingly and voluntarily subjected his will to the will of the Father and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and was saved. Bless God. 
Listen, it doesn't matter who says what they say unless God said something. You show me in Scripture where there is a biblical example of an involuntary salvation or an ignorant attaining of salvation where the person who received salvation did not comprehend that they had salvation. You show it to me if it's there because it's not there. Election will a sovereign act of God is sovereignly limited and works in cooperation with the voluntary will of man and that is a mystery of God. Be careful when you go treading on God's mysteries. Be careful how far you go. We're going to look at Ephesians 4 real quick. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 18. It speaks, it says, look at 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ. He says, do not walk walk in the vanity of your mind he says put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness this exhortation given to the church at Ephesus comes after one of the most powerful declarations of the doctrine of predestination in the whole word of God. We didn't even have time to look at it today. I gave you those references to look at. And yet after a doctrinal exposition of the doctrine of predestination in the book of Ephesians, God tells them, don't walk as the other Gentiles walk in the vanity of your mind. He says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. I don't understand how salvation can be of the Lord, and yet God require me to be responsible for my own salvation, to examine my own salvation, to look at the scriptures and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and repent of my sins. I don't understand how the Bible can say that it is Christ that works in us both to do and to will of his good pleasure and yet at the same time command me that I am to put off concerning the former conversation the old lusts and the old man and the old mind and be renewed in the spirit of my mind. I don't understand how all that stuff works but I believe it. I believe the Bible is true and we see here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 that the church of the Thessalonians had evidence of their success but that the evidence of their success was also the evidence of their election in Christ Christ. And how does this apply practically? If the church of the Thessalonians was electing Christ, then their position in Christ is secure. Cannot be changed. Cannot be altered. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Lord, we've done our best today and it's come far short. And I'm aware, Lord God, that, well, I may have been able to help some people. I doubtless have caused confusion in some other people's minds, Lord, by my absolutely foolish inability to comprehend this truth myself, much less to expound it. Lord, we've tried to look at scriptures, Lord. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to these truths and that you would give us grace with one another whenever, Lord, we don't quite see things that are mysteries the way that someone else sees them. But I pray, Lord God, that we would see the truth of them and that we would forsake all of man's doctrines and just get back to the Bible and to love one another and to live out our election to make our calling and our election sure, like your Bible says. Lord, that's beyond my comprehension. That verse seems to contradict itself. I don't understand. If it's a calling and election, how can I make it sure? But nevertheless, you've told me to do so. Help us, Lord, to follow you. Help us to obey you. In Jesus' name, for Christ's sake, amen.